Tonight's lead story is the same story we've been hearing all season until his poor groin fell victim in January to a strain. A strain which took a while to shake off if you weren't sure from the last two games. Tonight was all the evidence you needed to see that Donovan Mitchell is back in his full all-star starter form just in time for a matchup with the Philadelphia 76ers still just ahead of us in the standings. And what Mitchell did tonight against the San Antonio Spurs, 41 points, high-volume shooter, but high efficiency. 16 of 26 from the floor, 62%, including six three-pointers, four of which came in the second quarter. And then we got another 18 points from him in the second half, enough to hold off a rally by the Spurs in the third quarter where they cut the lead to four points. But by the end of the game, we were flirting with double digits, just shy of double digits, double digits, just shy of double digits. And in the end, it's an eight-point win. Maybe that doesn't quite reach the 15-point spread that I saw before the game. But hey, it's better than the loss that this same Spurs team handed us a little bit earlier this season. And I think... The Spurs team deserves a bit of respect, but this is not about the respect for the Spurs. This is about giving Donovan Mitchell the due respect he deserves tonight. His 41 points continues a three-game stretch in which he leads the NBA in scoring over this past three games. Now, I know what you're saying. You are certainly handpicking a sample here, Bob. You took three very effective games and you said, where does he stack up? Well, the answer is tied for first. Donovan Mitchell at 33.3 points is rivaled only by Pascal Siakam and De'Aaron Fox. But unlike the captain of that Canadian tugboat full of fecal matter. Sorry, that was a very long tugboat whistle. Donovan Mitchell has been pouring in those stats in resounding victories, pummeling the Detroit Pistons by 28 points. Meanwhile, those Raptors... A one-point victory over those same Detroit Pistons last game. (laughs) I'm beginning to think the problem wasn't the groin all along. I think maybe he just has an activator button on his penis, and Dylan Brooks triggered it with that dirty dong dinger. Huge dong Donnie activated. Tonight, with his 16-point second quarter, that marks a tie for his eighth-highest scoring quarter of the season. Now, I know what you're saying. Why are you even mentioning it? Is that worth mentioning? Well, yes, it is, for a couple of reasons. First of all, in six of the seven highest-scoring quarters for Donovan Mitchell, they all came in the second half. This was an anomaly. Instead of exploding at the end of the game to take over, Mitchell did it early, and then he paced the way with nine points in the third, nine points in the fourth, and enough to stave off a late rally by stupid Ohio State Malachi Branham. Did he talk to Dwayne Washington Jr. or something? What the fuck is it with these guys torching us who have no place torching us? A rookie? I don't think so. But I send my respect to Sohan, to Malachi Branham, even to Blake Wesley. Those guys all played way above their level of experience, taking on Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. And they deserve some respect despite the loss. But this cold open is about Donovan. Donovan's climb back into the upper echelon of NBA superstars. 33-6-5 on 59-41 splits in the last three games. That is a 71% true shooting percentage. Bow down. People are going to be praising Donovan Mitchell, which of course means somewhere Michael Jordan's rabbit ears will spring up. How many of you saw that bullshit in the Super Bowl? And I'm not talking about the penalty flag at the end. Oh, Jesus. What a way to waste 
four hours of a good game just to have that happen at the end. But that's this is a basketball podcast, and I had a bigger issue, quite frankly, with the fact that we had to sit there and watch a goddamn commercial for a movie I didn't realize was coming. I'm sure many of you were in the know. Somebody could have given me a warning, but this Air movie about Michael Jordan and his shoe contract that just seems like it's going to be a Ben Affleck, Matt Damon rim job. Disgusting. A Super Bowl buy? Does this man's insecurity know no bounds? He has to spend Super Bowl advertising dollars to make sure his name's out there after LeBron James breaks the all-time scoring record? And don't come at me with, oh, he's not even part of this movie. I don't care. He's represented in it. I'm holding him accountable. He could squelch it. He could sue people like Brett Favre suing people. But no. He wants this big fluff piece out there in the middle of the run-up to the NBA playoffs while LeBron is probably desperately trying to claw his Los Angeles Lakers out of the huge hole that they've dug. Well, I took some liberties to recraft the trailer in the form that it should be. I present to you, Air. 1984 has been a tough year. Our sales are down, our growth is down. Sonny, I brought you in here to grow the basketball business. There's nothing cool about Nike. You would have to have a pretty compelling pitch. I can tell them the one thing the other companies can't compete with. Let me guess. Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan. Nailed it. From the propaganda merchants who greenlit the last dance. Enough already. Comes some new bullshit meant to distract from LeBron. I got it. I found him. Who's that? Jesus? Can't afford it. I'm willing to bet my career on one guy. Let me guess. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Jesus Christ! You they need to give up. He does have a bit of a fragile ego. Move on. Yeah. A movie about advertisements and shoes. How exciting is that? Coming to theaters April 5th. Seriously? Sorry. We thought it would take LeBron a little bit longer. Mistime that one. Whoopsie. Experience the insecurity of Michael Jordan in IMAX and 3D. Oh, two hands. That'll bring the house down. Three on the way. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is. My favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. I am Bob Schmidt, your host at Fear the Fro Pod on Twitter. Thank you to everyone who has joined me for yet another podcast, a victory. The seventh in a row, as I alluded to, a great Donovan Mitchell game, but not touched upon in that cold open were all the other stories we saw this evening. Now, let's begin with the expectations. Certainly, based on what was expected to happen, the Cavaliers were a 16-point favorite. I, I looked it up just to check. In fact, the Spurs, 10 times since the turn of the year, they have been double-digit underdogs in games tonight. The largest of those, a 16-point underdog to the Cleveland Cavaliers. At first, I thought, okay, well, it's the Spurs. But no, we were bigger favorites than the Boston Celtics were when they faced the Spurs last month. Some respect is starting to be put on the Cavaliers' name. And unfortunately, we came away with an eight-point victory. But a win is a win is a win, and it gives us a chance to rival that early season win streak of eight that we saw broken. Sadly, when we hit that West Coast road swing where we then ripped off a five-game losing streak. But we could beat these Sixers almost entirely healthy, rested, and in doing so, 
taking over that spot as the third seed in the East. So we don't have to be happy about everything we saw tonight, but there were some things to be happy about. How the Cavs started, that was a positive. Avin Mobley, Jarrett Allen to open this game. The first six points of the game did not come from 41-point Donovan Mitchell. No, sir. They all came from Evan Mobley. Then Donovan Mitchell interrupted the big man party with a layup. After that, we got 11 uninterrupted points from the Twin Towers up front to account for 17 of the first 19 points coming from either Jared Allen or Evan Mobley. And the Cavs led by 12. Now, by the end of the first, it's a 15-point victory, but the Spurs started to claw back. And I could tell you the numbers, but anybody watching the game already knows what transpired. Keldon Johnson, a bulldog of a man, was excellent in the first half for the San Antonio Spurs. He scored a lot of points tonight, but in the first half alone, Johnson accounted for 15 points on 5 of 7 shooting, and they were strong takes. Isaac Okoro was his primary defender. Now, in December, when this same Spurs team beat us by one point, Keldon Johnson was very inefficient. He shot eight for 20-something. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I remember that game vividly because for a long portion of it, we put Darius Garland, a little bit of Lamar Stevens, but there was a lot of Garland on Keldon Johnson, and he still managed to leave a lot of points on the board with misses tonight. Much more efficient, using his physicality to overpower guys much larger than him. And at the end of the night, he finished with 25 points on 8 for 13 from the field. You saw what was so special about him and died a little bit inside when you realized we could have had him instead of Dylan Windler. But moving on, let's not dwell in the past. The past is the past past, but the recent past is 7-0. and So we hit halftime and we're up by 16 points. The third quarter mirrors the first, except in reverse bizarro world, where Garland and Mitchell help rip off the first 11.6 from Garland, 5 for Mitchell. Keldon is getting his yet again. He even has a, Mobley has a few moments in the third where his strong first quarter, it kind of dipped in the second and third. I thought he over dribbled a little bit. There was a play where he he dribbled into the lane, spun, and Keldon anticipated it, got the rip. But Okoro chased him down on the other end and poked the ball loose. However, Keldon beefed up, recovered the loose ball, and scored anyway. Four minutes left in the third quarter. They finally cut the Cavaliers' lead to single digits on a Keldon Johnson three-pointer. And from there, Mitchell. Foul line jumper. Boom. Splash. They come back. They score. Osman back down the court. Three-pointer. Boom. Double digits. Yet again. Back and forth. Back and forth. We hit the fourth quarter. Up by 10. By the way, in that little exchange, Jared Allen won a challenge. Holy shit. Blocked a shot, got called for a foul. JB recognized it and finally rewarded the big man who has found himself boned with little support in the way of a coach's challenge much of the season. But I'm glad he's paying him the respect that I have from day one. Yes, I'm tooting my own horn. My tugboat feces horn. We go into the fourth quarter, up by 10. Interesting stat from the broadcast today. The Spurs, 0 for 38. When trailing, going into the fourth quarter, heading into tonight, they are now 0 for 39. The Cavaliers, meanwhile, 28 and 5 when leading, going into the fourth quarter. That is a shocking stat somewhat to me, because I do feel like I've witnessed a lot of fourth quarters where the game was firmly in hand and then it slipped away, but I I guess I'm just mentally tricking myself into thinking we've blown more leads 
than we have. That's probably me holding on to negativity because that's what I do. We got the first look, though, in the fourth quarter of Jeremy Sohan and his one-handed free throw attempts, very Mason Plumlee-esque. And the stat that they read off on the broadcast, it's almost too good to be true. Before he opted to go to a one-handed free throw, this rookie was shooting 46% from the line. He has improved to 74% since making that change this calendar year. Now, the Spurs cut it all the way to four points in a true poop-your-pants panic moment for all of us Cavalier fans who could not stand to see a season series swept by one of the worst teams in modern NBA history, a team that's lost 13 in a row since they beat us on December 12th. They have won just five games. We cannot give up two victories to the Spurs, but we did not because after the lead being cut to just four points, 95-91 on a, a beautiful drive by Blake Wesley where he dumped it off to Charles Bassey. From that point on, the Cavs ratcheted up the effort as they got multiple offensive rebounds in one possession, and from that point, the lead would never get smaller. It would only expand. The Cavaliers end up winning by eight, and in that stretch run, we saw Mitchell just sunning Jeremy Sohan. Now, for those of you who missed a true ankle-breaking humiliation moment, Sohan has been known to talk his shit. You may recall earlier in the season, this comment directed at Russell Westbrook that he said during one of those jumbotron you know playful oh do this trivia what's the first thing that comes to mind sohan had this to say oh uh, russell Westbrook get him a lot bricks oh no no oh. no 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 now he survived that escaped an angry tweet from russell westbrook's wife i presume but he did apologize for it said he got caught up in the moment it's only a game so didn't mean any disrespect but he got his ankles broke tonight and later in the game we got a few moments he tried to grab the ball after an offensive foul on Donovan Mitchell where Donovan did his little grab and swing over thing. We see him do it when he's scoring a lot. He did it in a dead ball situation and wasn't going to let Sohan just take the ball away from him. He tossed it back to the ref. And then later on a drive to the rim, I would say Donovan Mitchell kind of extended his off elbow a little bit, put it pretty hard into Sohan on the drive. Now he ended up missing the shot, getting his rebound and then getting fouled, uh, scoring at the foul line. So big win for the Cavs. Not necessarily the way you want to go, but respect should be paid to these rookies. Branham was challenging bigs. Sohan, very tough, very physical. I don't know that he's the most skilled player. I think that's pretty apparent just from his free throw form, but he's tenacious and the effort's there. He's a guy who I can understand how right out of the gates, like, yes, the Spurs are a shallow team. They're playing a lot of youth, but I think he could carve out meaningful minutes on a lot of squads. So, Seeing what we saw out of Branham, seeing what we saw out of Sohan, and even a bit of Blake Wesley with his perfect fourth quarter there where he had seven points of his nine. The future is, I don't know if I would say bright, but you can find your way around the room. You won't smash your leg on a bedpost or anything like that. It's bright enough. So on to the next matchup. We get the Philadelphia 76ers who have joined us in the buyout market. They added Dwayne Dedman, the... Theragun throwing discarded center from the Miami Heat who found his way traded to the free agent market through a buyout and now he is joining the Philadelphia 76ers because as some may have predicted in the preseason when Montrez Harrell was going on a rant about how he would destroy all of the Cavs G League players uh, he has found his way into the unplayable territory 
the Sixers, despite the fact that they're winning games and everybody at the top of the East is winning games, based on listening to the commentary by their fans, by their podcasts and others, they don't seem all that happy. They've won three in a row, but those wins were squeakers against the Knicks and the Nets, and then they won again tonight going away. So one of the things I think will be interesting to see is there's been a lot of complaints about how lethargic they look in the middle of games and their tendency to shift to a zone defense later in games. Now, with our big-to-big passing, I am excited to see, to hold Embiid to 16 points in our first matchup, which was a win this season, that does not feel sustainable. Embiid regularly wrecks us. But now we've got these two bigs firing on all cylinders, playing close to 2010 basketball for the both of them. And with the way that their passing has improved... I am dying to see how this Cavaliers team will fare if Philadelphia goes into some sort of zone defense against us. Also, an interesting little wrinkle. The Philadelphia 76ers, who dealt Danny Green this offseason to bring in Melton from Memphis. Danny Green has now signed with the Cavs. And I don't imagine he's going to see a ton of minutes. Dean Wade seems to have been a casualty these last couple nights. He played just five minutes in the game tonight and barely played in the last game when he was struggling in the first half. So not a good two game stretch from Dean. It does make you think, I don't know that Danny green is going to find his way into any meaningful minutes, but the crossover conversation about green and his last true stop where he played meaningful minutes. I know he's played three games this year since returning from the ACL injury, but Philly was really the last fan base to see him. And he had some good performances in the playoffs Shot very efficiently. On his career, nearly a 40% three-point shooter. Now, I know on the last pod, I didn't really discuss him. I was fixated on Terrence Ross or Barton. Terrence Ross has found his way to Phoenix after me thinking he was going to land in Dallas. Dallas has swooped in on Justin Holiday, a man who I spoke about on the uh, trade, I don't know what you would call it, the Atlanta Hawks trade edition podcast I did as a guy that might be dumped in a buyout. And that has manifested into another running mate for Kyrie and Luka. But Danny Green, a guy that I didn't really even put much thought into, I love the fit. I love the fit in the sense that he was a solid defender. I don't know how he'll recover from this ACL, but fortunately, we're able to bring him along slowly. If he can just be an emergency blanket situation where if we pile up a bunch of injuries, he could play some meaningful minutes, great. If not, it's like I said last podcast. He's probably not going to see the floor much, but his skill set suits what we need. The more deadly three-point shooters we can add, the better. Because a night like two nights ago, where we go 0 for 13 from outside from the bench, that's a man who you say, well, maybe we turn to this guy and see if we can shake off that funk. So I love that addition. As far as buyout signings go, rarely do they prove to be viable, helpful pieces. But you've seen it a couple of times throughout history. Markeith Morris when he joined the Lakers during that bubble title run, he proved to be a big buyout addition, and you never know. And it is nice just from the human interest element of it, the fact that he began his career be here. And I can remember when we did get rid of him, I was on board with Manny Harris. I'm not going to act like I, I liked Green too. I wish we could have held on to both. But if you put a gun to my head back then and said, which guy would I choose to keep? I would have chosen Manny Harris. So to see what he did in the many subsequent years after and piling up the titles and being a valuable two-way player, it is nice to have a reunion, even if just for a union's sake. So the All-Star break is a long break. Nobody wants to lose to the Sixers in any scenario, but I definitely don't want to do it when I have a week to sit in that stench. 
And one more note to the All-Star break. The fact that Joachim Noah is allowed to draft Evan Mobley in the Rising Stars game, that appalls me, just on face value. If a man disparages the city that a player plays in, he should be disqualified from drafting them. Not because I care about the results of the game, but because if Evan Mobley wins, Noah wins. When Evan Mobley wins, I want Noah to fail. Right now, the only person who's failing when Mobley wins is Kendrick Perkins, who I almost feel bad for, by the way. How are the Cavs fans attacking me? I mean, <laughs> what'd you say? I, I mean, all I did was ask, can we get more out of Evan Mobley about a month ago? And he's doing that right now. Like, 12 and 7 wasn't cutting the mustard, okay? And now he's elevated his game, and that's what it's, what, what it's going to take in order for the Cavs to be in that top tier. Mm. I mean, I love y'all Cavs. I mean, I, I spent some years there. Do you hear that voice at the end? When it goes up like this, when he says, I love y'all cats, I spent some years there. That's when you stop kicking the dead horse, in my opinion. And let's not forget, some of you may not remember this. I don't know the age of everybody listening, but Kendrick Perkins is the closest thing our squad has ever seen to a hockey enforcer. A man who was signed solely for the purpose of sending a message. Laid one of the meanest hits on Jay Crowder you'll ever see. Came off the bench after Crowder was getting too handsy with LeBron James and within seconds, put him on the ground with a hard screen slash shove slash screen and shove. And for that, he'll forever be a hero to me. Second only to J.R. Smith, who punched that bitch out. So thank you for joining me on the Fear the Fro podcast. And I got to mention, the guys on the Reddit thread, you guys are all awesome. All the people saying the nice things about the podcast, the person who posted it saying, hey, does anybody check this out? I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. I love this community. I love the other podcasters from the chase down guys to the LeBron James retrospective from the locked on guys where they had the heat guys on and the Lakers guys on even the guy on Reddit who does the special game posters every day. I love those threads and everybody who's left reviews and ratings or left feedbacks when those things come up in the Cavs subreddit. I appreciate all that stuff. You, you don't have many outlets to really find out how people feel about things or ways you can improve. And my hope is to make this thing as good as I can make it. I don't know what that line is, but I'm certainly going to try. And to Bleed Cleveland, who said, I hope this thing doesn't peter out or or wither out and die, I don't intend to have that happen. This has been a, a nice outlet. I have spent decades on broadcast radio where I can't speak quite as freely, where I can't do weird shit like what I was doing with the trailer in this episode. And this has been a fun outlet for that. So I want to see where it can go. If it can find an audience, all the better. But really, I just wanted to speak to people who are similar to me, who like the Cavs and who don't take shit too seriously. So I'll see where it goes in the future. But for all of you who have joined me, especially recently, I am massively appreciative. Thank you. I'm going to leave you with the most Valentine's-esque sounding bit I have at the moment. I'll be back with more onto the Sixers. Happy Valentine's Day from us to you. I give you this holiday poem from rap superstar LL Cool J. I want to knock your block off. Get my rocks off, blow your socks off, and make your spots soft. So what you saying? I get my swerve on, bring it live, make it last forever. Damn, that kitty cat's tight. This concludes our Valentine's Day poem. (laughs) 